0: Today's Old Testament reading is from Zechariah 3. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him, while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come, I am going to bring my servant, the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. In that day, each of you will invite your neighbor to send under your vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever.
1: Our New Testament reading comes from 1 John, chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, Name of his Son Jesus Christ, and to live as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to
2: God. Will you pray with me, please? this breeze
3: that reminds us of the breath of God which blows wherever it pleases we give you thanks and we likewise give you thanks father who gives the spirit without limit that it pleases you
2: to impart your personalized presence the people like us. That it's
3: of interest to you. For people like us with overcrowded
2: hearts and distracted minds and flimsy devotion. To come
3: and to rearrange us. To come and to reassure us. To say things like,
2: my peace I give you. To say things like, receive the Holy Spirit. To say things like, I will not ever let you be snatched out of my hand.
3: We come today and we ask you to show us that determination again to do us good. As we can only receive what has been given us from heaven. I am personally interested, Lord, in having those friends of mine who are before me and to my left and to my right and those who are at home watching us, these people that we adore.
2: I want them to know that they're not wasting their time, that this isn't isn't some fake enterprise,
3: but that this is an opportunity to meet up with Jesus Christ himself for whom we were made, who gives calm to the restless heart. Holy Spirit, come to us. Holy Spirit, surprise us. Holy Spirit, make us glad again. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: The Apostle John knew something,
3: something personal and sweet about the affection of Jesus. It was not a figment of his imagination. It wasn't something that had been put on a placard for him. It was something, as we look at this epistle that he wrote, that he had touched. Jesus' chest was one that he had felt in an embrace. In the Gospel of John, John is called... He never names himself the beloved apostle. There was something rather revolutionary to him about having been the object of Christ's affection
2: that he couldn't stop talking about. And so in this passage that just got read, he begins,
3: as he's already mentioned several times, Behold, what manner of love the father has given to us.
2: Hot dog, he says. Can you believe it? That we should be called children of God? And that's who we are. I think that's what he was saying when he wrote it on parchment. It was something
3: rather exciting to him, and and I know when we read it, we want the reverberation of that in us. We want the echo of that in us. We want to be able to say yes, yeah, behold. We want to say behold for the first time in our lives. Who ever says behold? But there are certain experiences of being overwhelmed or being newly acquainted with something that make you say behold love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. As unbelievable as it is, as as unimaginable, as unfathomable, as inexplicable as it
2: is, that somehow he has taken some kind of interest in us. Knowing full well everything there was about us. So for John, that's a really big deal. But then... He lets us in on something at the end of this chapter.
3: Something that doesn't feel like it should compute. It's something that doesn't feel like it should go with, Behold, what manner of love the Father
2: has given to us. And that thing is called having a heart. Having an interior voice. That condemns you. that is severe towards you. That creates an
3: atmosphere of gloom in you. That becomes, if you are a fan
2: of 1980s SNL, a Debbie Downer in you. He says these two things can waltz together.
3: You can be a dearly, Loved child, the object of God's undying affection with his inseparable and tenacious care for you. Saying, ain't nothing going to ever stand between us no matter what you think.
2: And at the same time, that could be true. And your heart can give you. I'm so glad that he tells us that.
3: Because otherwise, I would think that something was very wrong with me, but now I know that I'm perfect. That's a joke. But I am perfect. I am perfect in having a heart that condemns me, and perfect in being
2: loved. You notice I haven't said anything about my actual self, just things that have happened to me. And maybe you can say that same thing too. This then is how we know that we belong
3: to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts
2: condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. John is interested for children like you would be for your own
3: to know what to do when it starts thundering
2: inside. When the lightning comes and the loud claps of thunder rattle the house and you feel antsy. And you don't have a thunder shirt like your dog. The atmospheric pressure
3: inside gets too much and the gloom comes too heavily. And you start to say or start to believe or start to hear. You're fooling yourself. This isn't, none of this is true. Why would you believe that God loves you? Look around. Look at yourself. Look what you just thought this morning.
2: What have you done for Jesus Christ lately? Janet Jackson might ask that same question,
3: but only about herself.
2: That's another. I'm
3: stuck in the 80s. What have you done for me lately? I'm not going to be able to use notes.
2: Hold on a second, sorry. But you have,
3: we've been talking about shame. You have this attendant and this picture in Zephaniah that was given to us. It says Joshua was standing there in the
2: presence of God. And Satan was right there at his right hand accusing. He was wearing filthy clothes. The, the filth shines up, shows up much more vividly in the light of God's presence. And there was Satan. You're a fake. You haven't done anything. You haven't loved.
3: You haven't forgiven. I can't believe how jealous you are. I can't believe how...
2: Greedy you are. I can't believe how petty you are. And he says these things to God about
3: Joshua. He says them to God about you. He says them to you. You overhear them. It's been this way since the beginning. You're not a child of God. He doesn't mean it. If he cared about you, if he loved you, you wouldn't be feeling this pain. You wouldn't feel so empty inside. You wouldn't be so alone. He can't truly love you. He can't truly mean it
2: when he says, Behold,
3: what manner of love the Father has given to you.
2: Because if he did, you would not be feeling this way. And it's interesting and lovely to me that in that passage, the Lord rebukes the accuser. shut it. The Lord rebuke you because the Lord knew something more than
3: Joshua knew st- standing there with his filthy clothes. And the Lord knows more than your
2: condemning heart, which is contrary to your best hopes, and which is an impediment to your aspirations. He knew
3: that he could take away anything true or untrue that Satan said,
2: you got filthy clothes, take them off. Put clean clothes on him. And of course, that's what John believes has happened as Jesus has come
3: into the world. The reason that the Son of God appeared, we're told in this passage before we get to what we're talking about, is that he might destroy the devil's work. And the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason that he appeared is that he might take away our sins. And the devil likes to stand beside you. He likes to stand beside you in in quarantine. He likes to stand beside you when you're sick. He likes to stand beside you when you're alone. He likes to stand beside you when you're with someone. He likes to stand beside you when you're at worship
2: and whisper things. Gloomy things. Things that make you think you're never going to get out of the labyrinth of yourself. Things that make you mistrust the whole thing. That make you look and have to be defensive. To you, he says, your filthy clothes are gone of Jesus Christ. That is what
3: those of you who look to him have. You are clothed in Jesus Christ. You are looked at as if you were Jesus Christ because you are one with Jesus Christ. That's why John can say everyone who hopes in him purifies himself. Every gal who hopes in him purifies
2: herself. Every child who hopes in him purifies, which is to say they get the filthy off of them.
3: And they have a way to join God's speech and say, rebuke you, Satan. Rebuke you, shame.
2: I scorn you. I spit upon you. Someone told me this week that their child,
3: I think an 11-year-old child said, you remember that time he came in after a..." Long day, an exhausting day, a discouraging day. He said, Do you remember that time that Pastor Eric
2: said when you hear those voices in your head? And he said, shut your face, you big fat poop.
3: Do you remember when he said that? That has been really helpful. But be shamed if you're not an 11-year-old child and you didn't remember to say that to that voice sometime that was actually profoundly encouraging to me to hear that a child thought, I can join the Lord in rebuking this voice of
2: condemnation because that ain't the Lord. But your face, the Lord rebuke you. Of course I have
3: sins, but my, my filthy clothes have been removed and I am clothed with Jesus Christ. I look to him and it purifies me when my heart condemns me. And see, John wants you to know about this because here's what happens for most of us. Most of us can relate in some way or another to this.
2: The Allison in this novel is described this way. There's a moment when something happens to her. She doesn't do well in life.
3: You've heard of her before. She got all A's in school and flunked ordinary living. But something comes to pass in her life in a certain moment. And it says, at that moment, something inside her
2: relaxed. A muscle which had been clenched for so long that she had forgotten about it. Suddenly unclenched and it let go. Ever had a back spasm? Ever had a cramp in the middle of a game? your legs just lock up on you? You ever walked around for all of your life tensed up like this? No, not not Americans. Something inside her relaxed.
3: A muscle that had been clenched for so long she had forgotten it and it suddenly unclenched and it let go. And she closed her eyes, and she took a breath of air into a new part of her lungs. And it became possible, she noticed,
2: to look at things rather than to watch out for things.
3: Here's what shame will do. Here's what Satan will do. He will say, look at yourself. Look at those dirty clothes. Look at all those wrinkles. You're not going to leave the house looking like that, are you? You're not going to talk to God looking like that, are you? You're not going to have a relationship with them knowing what you know about yourself, are you?
2: Look at yourself. Why didn't you do more? What have you been doing with your time? You've had three months. Why didn't you write three books? Why is your house still looking like this? why is your heart still looking like this? Why haven't you memorized the Old Testament? You've had three months. Don't even get me thinking about your car. Look at yourself. Or, this thing in us that clenches up that says, I've got to
3: I've got to make sure nobody sees what I can see about myself. I feel all
2: these these angry things in myself. Or it might just turn outward to other selves. Or
3: you're not so aware of it. Paul 28 in one place has said that the strong and the weak, they just have the same issues underneath. They just present differently. The strong repress their guilt. They push down their guilt. They don't feel it. People who don't feel guilty and they walk through life and they don't feel guilty and you do and you hate them.
2: They're pushing down that guilt. It's down there. They're guilty. I promise you. They're just not aware of it. They're abusing authority.
3: They're living their own lives. They're not caring about other people. And they're just, they just don't feel it. The weak, he says, they know their guilt. They repress their anger. They push down their anger. They're scared of it. You're scared of that thing that would lash out, but it seeps out sometimes, don't it? And guilt
2: pops up for the strong sometimes, don't it? When you get caught, you get caught unawares. And so we're on the lookout, we're watching, we're defending ourselves. Like Allison, our muscles clenched in self defense. suddenly you think, suddenly there's a bit of fresh air that comes into a new part
3: of your lungs as you start to think, what if I didn't just look at myself, but I looked at Jesus Christ, who would purify me, who might give me something that I am severely lacking? What if it's true, what if it's true that regardless of how I feel about the situation, I am actually a child of God? kid who wakes up in his house in the morning, a little girl who wakes up in the house and says, I don't much feel like I'm a young blood today. Couldn't think of any other names, but I'm familiar with that one. I actually could think of a lot of names, but now I thought I don't want anybody here to think I'm thinking their name. I'll use ours. If you woke up in the morning and you said, I don't really feel like I'm a young blood today. I don't really belong to this family.
2: Well, you would just be wrong. If you were a young what? Your feelings would be lying to you. Your heart would be condemning you. The smog, the atmospheric fog, would be covering a right
3: perception. You wouldn't be thinking of the right things. You'd only be considering how you happen to feel at the moment, and you would
2: you'd be clenched up. And so it strikes me as the wonderful little gift for us to think what God
3: has done by urging us to look outward is he lets us unclench he lets these clenched up muscles
2: relax in us and so when we feel condemned and our heart says you are condemned we say but there's one who knows more about my heart than I do and he decides who's
3: condemned or not not me He decides who's forgiven or not, not me. He decides who gets his love or not, not me. He decides
2: to offer an invitation, and it's to me to accept it. To come to him. And as you do, on a daily basis, you find yourself
3: unclenching and you find yourself, maybe for moments at a time, maybe for hours at a time, maybe for days at a time, not watching yourself, but looking, not watching out. What's going to happen? What's bad going to happen now? What terrible news is going to come our way now? Not watching out because you know you've got Christ with you. Now you can look at things
2: like your neighbor. You can hear their cries. You can let your pity be roused to attend to
3: them because you're not watching out for yourself anymore. John says, this is one of the ways you know. This is one of the ways you know that you've been unclenched, that you've gone from death into life, that the life of Jesus is actually pulsating in you, circulating through your spiritual bloodstream, is that you start not just to watch out
2: for yourself, but you find more and more you're looking out to the lonely around you, to the distressed around you.
3: You're even thinking about the people in your household and the people in your church and
2: the people in your neighborhood. You're thinking, what, what do they need right now? They're not watching you. He actually says this is one of your benefits when your heart condemns you.
3: One of the ways you get out of that, one of the ways you settle down your jumpy, bedraggled, restless heart... As you say, does the life of Jesus,
2: is it pulsating through me? Do I love in concrete ways? See your brother in need, he says, and you have material possessions, and you don't have pity on them. How can the love of God be in you, he says? Don't just talk love. Or you'll deceive yourself.
3: But here's a gift. As you enact love, you get in on the fellowship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who is love. And you you get to participate in it. You get to experience it. You get to
2: get reassurances that my heart is just telling me the wrong stuff. There's a fellow whose name I am not remembering at the
3: moment who wrote a book called Atomic Habits. And he said this profound thing that everybody here will find
2: incredibly obvious, but it did not... James Clear is his name. I clearly now remember. And
3: he said one of the things that you can do, and he's... I don't know if he's a Christian. I don't I don't know. Not writing from a... Not acting completely explicitly Christian is, but he says this, there's all kinds of times that we tell ourselves that we are certain things, and we don't show those things, and the way we can start to realize that we are those things is by acting on those things. For instance, if someone says, are you a
2: weightlifter, and you go around saying, I'm a weightlifter, and then you look at your count and you're like, well, but I didn't actually lift any weights. You might be deceived. What are you doing now these days? I'm a writer. I'm writing a novel.
3: A young 25-year-old might say. I'm writing a novel. I'm a writer. Oh, awesome. What are you writing? Well, I'm waiting until I get some more time. Because there's always time for writing. Ask all the people who have written. There's always time for it. There's one day, just like a whole... Opened up time without distraction. Anybody asking anything for you going to just open up? I love to cook. When was the last time you cooked? Man, I am just so busy at work. All I ever do is work, 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 work. And and then you do a, a time audit, practices audit, and you think, I mean to say, all I ever do is check Facebook and my email. But it feels like I'm doing stuff all day. You see, Sometimes you can say
2: things, but if you don't do the things, then you're self-deceived and your heart knows it. But one of the joys is you want to be a runner?
3: Then go out and run. And then, like Bob, and what about Bob, who became a sailor in a day? Dr. Marvin, do you sail? tied to the mast with tape or rope. I sail! How does he know he sailed? Because he just sailed. And you know what Christians do? They Christ. Sailors sail, weightlifters lift, riders write, cooks cook, Christians Christ. Which is to say his life is in us and we start looking out. tender little ways and big ways. We start giving. We start looking at how can we help someone. We start asking them, who will you love through me? Pastor Corby wishes he could be here today. He was, so, he was more excited about coming here today than your dog is when you come home. I can, go, I can leave our house for five minutes and I come back in and Huck, who's like three inches tall, will jump 16 feet in the air. He rightly believes that I'm the most magnificent person on the planet. That's how I picture Corby and his exuberance. Like he wanted so badly to be here today. that he's Christing. Because he's a Christian. Because Jesus Christ lives in him. And, and so he, this week he stayed with a sick, he helped out a sick family. And as an abundance, an overabundance, an extra double depth exponential geographic, geometric, I'm sorry, geometric, kind of expanded
2: abundance of caution. He's quarantining for a while. And his whole family. And he wants to be here. But he's Christing. He's having pity on
3: everybody else. He doesn't want to get somebody sick accidentally, even though he doesn't think there's really any chance of that. And I don't either.
2: That's what Christians do. They Christ. So John says, if you want to know, if you want to know, you can look at that. Am I Christing? Am
3: I loving? Am I serving? Am I giving? These are things that help us. Do I love the brothers? That will be a sign that I've crossed over from death unto life. Am I Christing? But then even still, if your heart condemns you, and you look at something beyond that that helps you unclench. You say, "But God knows more than my heart." Because sometimes I'm not going to see things about myself. I remember asking Joe Novenson on the eve of my ordination, "Hey, Joe Novenson." I don't call him first and last name. How on earth?" can I stand with any kind of integrity and take these ordination vows? I've read what the Bible
2: says about these things. Knowing what I know about myself, how on earth can I stand here and say that I'm going to promote the gospel and that I, I'm going to live for the glory of
3: God and I'm going to teach, that I'm going to take this mantle of representing
2: God to a, a people on his behalf as a shepherd. How could I possibly do that? He said, you know, when you look at the qualifications in the scriptures,
3: none of them are about self-assessment. They're things that someone else sees, a life coming out of you. Something that you don't ever know about yourself. Something you may rarely detect about yourself. Another kind of life comes out from you. That that's why a congregation calls you. That's why they, a presbytery, endorses you, and they lay hands on you and ordain you. You don't ordain yourself. You don't self-proclaim. Other eyes see the life,
2: the demonstration of Jesus. They see you, christing. You get to see, as I've learned by hard experience in you, you get to see the dirt. You get to hear
3: the accusal. You get to hear the not enough.
2: So we need each other to notice when we're Christing, to notice when we're loving our brother, to notice
3: the signs of Jesus' life in us. That's why we are children of God, not
2: God adopted one kid and that was it and he stopped. Let each other know. And when you start to let each other know, you start to look
3: up and say, wow, God really must be greater than my heart because my heart deceives me. But he receives me. You start to do that, you know something happens. You, you really do start to unclench. You're not watching out for things. You start to look out for things. You start to look out for Jesus to... To help you and to broker his life through you in ways you hadn't counted on before, you start to look out for the pain of others,
2: and you find yourself winning the lottery of undeserved competence for the God that you shouldn't have anything to do with, but have to have everything to do with. This is the gift of Jesus Christ to
3: you. Do you win the lottery of undeserved confidence to say, hey, you can go to God with a condemned heart and realize he knows more than your heart and he's been condemned for you in the person of Jesus. And so that is no matter. So now
2: you have confidence to get whatever you ask because you're now a kid lavished with love. God is eager to answer. I hope today
3: the Lord will give you and that you will ask for an unclenching. It will override the condemnation of heart that you feel. That will let the life of Jesus pulse in you as you look to him.
2: So that you don't have to watch out for things. You get to look out to Christ and to others.
3: And know that you have for the rest of your life won the lottery undeserved confidence in a God who will not condemn
2: you, but he will rebuke the one who does. Amen.